The following resources from Two Journeys. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God. Please visit twojourneys.org for more resources. We're going to continue our look at uh, Proverbs tonight, but I don't really know where to tell you to turn to look. We're going to be all over the book. So open to Proverbs 1, but we're not going to be in Proverbs 1. You'll be having to flip or just listen. Tonight we're going to talk about what the book of Proverbs has to say about our mouth or our lips, our words, our talking. And you know something? The more I researched, I read through the whole book of Proverbs this week, just looking specifically for Proverbs that had to do with speaking. And I ended up with about a third of the book. (laughs) So um, we're going to be looking at it again next week. Uh, But tonight I want to talk about um, uh, just some beginning things about what the book of Proverbs has to say about um, our words. Now we're going to start actually tonight uh, briefly in the book of James, chapter 3, verse 2. Just one verse. You don't need to turn there, but I'm just going to quote it. It says, we all stumble in many ways. Amen? We all stumble in many ways. It's true. If anyone is never at fault in what he says, he is a perfect man, able to keep the whole body in check. If you are never in fault, at fault ever in the things you say, then you're perfect. That's what James 3.2 says. Now, why is that true? Why is it true that if you never say anything wrong, you're a perfect person? Why is that? That's right. It means your heart's perfect. See, Charles, you, I mean, you're, you're remarkable. Immediately, Charles brings us to the heart of the matter, the connection between the mouth and the heart. Why is the fact that you, if you are never at fault in what you say, that you're a perfect man, why is that true? It's because of the connection between the mouth and the heart. And I think that's something that we need to get at and understand right here. The mouth is a reflection of the heart. And what is the heart like? Let's go to the next level. What is your heart like? Desperately wicked. Isn't that a little gloomy, Joyce? I mean, a little negative? (laughs) It is, though. It's true. Jeremiah 9 says it's desperately wicked. And I think the more you go on in sanctification, the more you know yourself under the light of Scripture, the more you know it's true. And uh, therefore, the mouth is constantly saying things that it shouldn't say. We're constantly getting ourselves into trouble with what we say. Now, the whole passage in James 3, you've read it before, Basically, in effect, it says no one can bridle the tongue. You just can't do it. No matter how hard you try, it's going to say something. It's going to wriggle free at some point and say something you shouldn't have said. And uh, so, therefore, the book of Proverbs, we can imagine, would have a lot of practical wisdom to give us <clears throat> Excuse me, on what we have to say. Another key verse in this that you've heard me quote uh, many times, and I'll quote it again, is in Matthew 12, 34 and following. There, Jesus had just done an amazing miracle. And his opponents, his enemies, were trying a new tap. They were trying a new approach, and they were saying, uh, it is by Beelzebub, the prince of demons, that he drives out demons. That's what they said. In other words, they were ascribing to the devil the things that the Holy Spirit was doing through Jesus. Isn't that incredible? And Jesus said, uh, it's a very, very serious moment. That's when he discusses the unforgivable sin, as you remember. Uh, which I think is ascribing to the devil the things that the Holy Spirit is doing in such a manifest way. The miracle should have been sufficient evidence of the deity of Christ. But they're ascribing to the devil by Beelzebub, the Lord of Flies is what it means, um, the things that the Holy Spirit was doing. And this is what Jesus said. 
You brood of vipers, how can you who are evil say anything good? Think about that. How can you who are evil say anything good? For out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And that's the very thing that Charles was bringing us right to, the heart of the matter. You speak what's in your heart. Isn't that true? And so as the Lord sanctifies you, he actually sovereignly, I think, brings you into circumstances where the things that are in your heart bubble up to the surface. And you just say them. Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. The good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. And the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. But I tell you that men will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every careless word they have spoken. For by your words you will be acquitted, and by your words you will be condemned. So words, very, very important. Words are significant. Think about words to God. How important are words to God? Think about that. Genesis 1-3, God said, let there be what? Light, and there was light. So he created by the breath of his mouth. By the word of his power, he created he spoke you into existence simply by speaking the word. Let there be so-and-so, and there was that person. He wove you together in your mother's womb. He created you by his words. God also used the word to redeem the world. Not only did he create the wor uh, world by the word, but he used the word to redeem the world. Now, of course, he did that through Jesus Christ. John 1.1 1, 1 says what? In the beginning was the what? Word. And the word was with God and the word was God. So he uses this metaphor, this concept of word, uh, in reference to the second person of the Trinity. He is the word gone forth from God the Father. He is a spoken word, perfect representation of the will of the Father. That's Jesus Christ. So he used the incarnate word, Jesus, but then he used the spoken word to save us, didn't he? Romans 1.16, I am not ashamed of the gospel because it is the power of God for the salvation of everyone who believes. It's just a spoken word. And at some point you heard it and you believed it. Hearing promotes faith. Faith comes from hearing the word. So God has chosen this means to the end of our salvation. And so it says in 1 Corinthians 1.21, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through its wisdom did not know him, God was, was pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believe. Just by the foolishness of this verbal communication, this preaching, and this message of the word. And as I just mentioned, God will use our words to judge us. He's going to use your words, everything you've said, as a perfect assessment of your life. Remember I said when I was preaching through Romans that you are going to be judged by your deeds? You will not be saved by your deeds, but you will be assessed by your deeds. You see the difference? None of us are saved by good works, but we can be assessed by our works. Jesus said, make a tree good and its fruit will be what? Good. Make a tree bad and its fruit will be bad. Jesus is a perfect judge of fruit. He can pick that fruit, look at it, and tell you what kind of tree it is. And he uses our words to do that. Isn't that true? Out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And so he's going to use our words to judge us. By your words, you will be acquitted, and by your words, you will be condemned. And God's word itself is powerful and effective. I love this in Isaiah 55, 10 and 11. As the rain and the snow come down from heaven and do not return to it without watering the earth and making it bud and flourish so that it yields seed for the sower and bread for the eater, so is my word which goes out from my mouth. It will not return to me empty, but will accomplish the purpose for which I sent it and achieve the end for which I sent it forth. In other words, anytime God sends out his word, it accomplishes the thing he sent it out to do. So words are very, very important, aren't they? Well, what are your words like? Think about it. If you had a transcript of everything you said in the last seven days, what would it look like? 
Go through it with a highlighter and say, ooh, there's one I wish I hadn't said. And you could categorize them. Those things, those words that were a blessing to somebody, those words that were a curse to somebody, those words which were neither one or the other, those things in which you were speaking the word of God, and those things in which you were not. Just go through and think about it. A transcript of your words. It's not that uncommon a concept. Jesus already said you'll have to give an account, so there is a transcript somewhere. Well, think about it for yourself. What are your words like? Well, I think that's where the book of Proverbs comes in to try to help us out, to give us some wisdom. Now, what we're going to do tonight is we're going to look at the negative side. Those things that Proverbs reveals as bad habits concerning the mouth and the words. We'll look at the positive side next time. But I think so much of sanctification is weeding out those things that are displeasing to God so that there's room for those things that are pleasing. Now, Charles has already brought out the close relationship between the mouth and the heart, and it is very clear in the book of Proverbs as well. At 15.7, it says this, The lips of the wise spread knowledge, not so the hearts of fools. So there's a connection between the lips and the hearts. Remember, there's a parallelism all the time in these Proverbs. And so there's a relationship between lips and heart. 15.28, it said, this reminds me of when I preached on Psalm 119, and I was moving all over that psalm, as you remember. But that's what the book of Proverbs is like. And you can just listen, or you can try flipping there if you'd like, but we're going to just move through. 15.28, it says, The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. So again, in the first heart, the part, the part A, we've got the word uh, heart, and part B, we've got the word mouth, a strong connection. And 23.15 and 16, 23, 15, 16 says, My son, if your heart is wise, then my heart will be glad. My inmost being will rejoice when your lips speak what is right. In other words, this father is speaking to his son, and he's saying, I'm going to delight if you have a wise heart. And how will I know if you have a wise heart? By the words you speak. I'll just listen to how you talk, and I'll know if you have any wisdom to offer. And so this connection between the heart and the mouth is true, both for the wise man and for the fool. It's true in both cases. 1623 says, a wise man, a wise man's heart guides his mouth. His lips promote instruction. So in other words, a wise man's heart guides the things he says. Now we already know from, from Matthew 12 that the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, but here there's a sense of self-control, isn't there? The wise man's heart, his wisdom, his discretion, is bridling in the things he's saying and controlling it so that he speaks wisdom. On the other hand, the fool, 1514, it says, The discerning heart seeks knowledge, but the mouth of a fool feeds on folly. The mouth of a fool just enjoys foolishness, folly. So again, the strong connection between the heart and the mouth. Now, one caveat about that, one warning, is that deceptive people can fool us by how they talk. Isn't that true? I mean, there can be some that will talk a good talk, but, but the reality is different. So in general, it's true that out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks, but you see, God has a perfect record of your words. We only have a sampling of one another's words, don't we? So we can actually kind of do all right for a while. You know what I'm saying? I mean, we can be on our best behavior verbally for a little period of time, and therefore we can present ourselves as a certain way. But God's got a 168-hour-per-week record. So he's got the whole thing. Nothing's missing. But there, it is possible to deceive other people by uh, the way we talk. You've, we've heard of people who talk the talk but don't walk the walk, that kind of thing. Proverbs co covers that as well. 26, uh, chapter 26, verse 23 through 26. Take a minute and, and, and look there because there's a number of verses there that, it, that refers to this. <clears throat> 
Proverbs 26, 30, uh, 23 through 26. It says, Like a coating of glaze over earthenware are fervent lips with an evil heart. Isn't that powerful? Like a coating of glaze. Have you ever seen a piece of ceramic? It's got that shiny glaze stuff over it, but at the heart it's just common clay. In effect, this proverb is saying that's what uh, fervent lips over a deceptive or an evil heart are like. Somebody who can speak the, 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 the fervent talk of a Christian, let's say, uh, but at their heart the, the, that it's, there's a disconnect there. There's no genuine zeal for the Lord, no genuine love for him. Reading on, verse 24, a malicious man disguises himself with his lips, but in his heart he harbors deceit. Though his <clears throat> speech is charming, do not believe him. For seven abominations fill his heart. His malice may be concealed by deception, but his wickedness will be exposed in the assembly. So in the end it comes out. You can't keep it up for a long, long time. But for a short period of time you can talk a good talk and so deceive your neighbor. So it is possible in a shorter sampling of the words to carry off uh, a good appearance. But in general, out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. And God has the perfect record, the whole thing, 100% of all your words. And so he's able to make a perfect assessment of your heart. Now, inside ourselves, we're saying, I don't want to be that way. I don't want to be like a glaze coating over an evil heart. And therefore, what has to happen to us? We have to have a heart transformation, don't we? We have to have a, a genuine renewal from within. And that's something only Jesus Christ can give us. Only God can transform the heart from within. And then out of the overflow of the heart, the mouth speaks. Good things come up out. And, and it says in 2015, I love this, gold there is and rubies in abundance, but lips that speak knowledge are a rare jewel. In other words, there's more gold and rubies out there than, than there are lips that speak genuine godly knowledge. It's a rare thing. And then you say, well, I want to be one of those people. How do I do it? How do I speak those kind of words? Or 25.11, it says, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. I'll read that again. 25.11, A word aptly spoken is like apples of gold in a setting of silver. That sounds expensive, doesn't it? Apples of gold in a setting of silver. For your 25th wedding anniversary, what could be better to get her than apples of gold in a setting of silver, right? And that's what it's saying. It's that valuable. A word aptly spoken. Just the right amount of wisdom. Just the word to say at that key moment. And it's that rare. You say, wow, well, how could I be a man or a woman who does speak that apt word in a, per in a perfect setting? Well, the words of wisdom transform the heart. Look at 22, 17 and following. We have to have a transformation. And what's interesting about the transformation is that it is accomplished by listening to words. Isn't that funny? Listen to words of wisdom. Listen to the scripture. Listen to the teaching. You all have Sunday school teachers. There's good Bible preaching on the, on the radio. You know, I try to preach the word faithfully. Listen to the good words of wisdom and put them into effect. It's a transforming effect, the word of God. But look at 22, 17 and following. Pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply, apply your heart to what I teach, for it is pleasing when you keep them in your heart and have all of them ready on your lips, so that your trust may be in the Lord. I teach you today, even you. Have I not written 30 sayings for you, sayings of counsel and knowledge, teaching you true and reliable words so that you can give sound answers to him who sent you? 
That's so powerful. It says, pay attention and listen to the sayings of the wise. Apply your heart to what I teach. Apply your heart to what I teach so that you can have the words ready on your lips. Where do you think I'm heading with all this? Scripture memorization. Yeah, you know me well. You just have to saturate your mind in the word so that out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks. Am I speaking alien? Look what Jesus said. He said, out of the overflow of the heart the mouth speaks, the good man brings good things out of the good stored up in him. Whereas the evil man brings evil things out of the evil stored up in him. How do you store up good things in yourself? May I recommend memorizing the sayings of the wise. You can't do better than scripture. All scripture is God-breathed and is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness so that the man of God may be thoroughly equipped for every good work. It's the scripture. Another reference on this, I'm not going to read it now, is Proverbs 4, 20 through 27 in which, and you make a note of that, in which the Father says, pay attention to my teachings. Write them on your heart so that they come out of your mouth. That's kind of how it works. So a transformation of the heart by the word of God. Now let's get into a listing of some bad habits of speech. And talk about what Proverbs said. By the way, have you noticed I've got Avery crack and peel labels here? I forgot to change the paper in our printing, so, uh, and I didn't have time. So you all can have part of the talk tonight if you want. Take it home, crack and peel, put it on your Bible, you know, maybe your favorite proverb. Just come and ask. I'll leave it up here in the front. You can take it with you. All right. There, there are just different habits, and I don't think I've been exhaustive here, but there's just some different things that the Scripture, the book of Proverbs, uh, gives us that are habits that we don't want to get into in terms of our speech. Um, I'll just read through the list quickly, and then I'll go back and start reading the Proverbs. There's foolish abundance. I categorized a number of these things. Foolish abundance. Saying lots and lots of foolish things. Okay? Um, there's lying and deception. Lying and deception. Uh, there's malice and destruction. These are really hurtful words, the words that just rip to shreds, those things. There's gossip and slander, which is covered in Proverbs. There's flattery, flattery, and hasty speech, speaking before your brain's connected. Have you ever done that? Okay. All right. And then there's boasting and quarreling. Another word for quarreling is arguing. All right, mocking and poor timing, saying things that shouldn't be said when you say them, those kind of things, and joking. Those are things covered. All right. What's wrong with a good joke, you might say? Well, ordinarily nothing, but there are some things that are inappropriate. Let's go through them and look at them. First, let's talk about foolish abundance. There are three subcategories here, chattering, talking too much, and blurting out folly. All right, first, what is chattering? Well, I don't really know, but this is what Proverbs 10.10 says. He who winks maliciously causes grief, and a chattering fool comes to ruin. Well, I guess it's just somebody who's just talking all the time. You know, the mouth is going and going, and not much is coming out worth listening to. Chattering fool. Don't be that way, I guess, is what we're getting at here. This is about as practical as it gets. You want practical? This is practical. All right, this isn't Romans chapter 3 theology. I mean, this is, this is practical, okay? So if you like practical, like don't be a chattering fool. Or talking too much. I like this one. 1019. By the way, write this one down. If you're given to saying a lot of words, 1019. When words are many, I'm going to change the NIV translation a little bit here. When words are many, sin is inevitable. NIV just says sin is not absent. I like inevitable better. You keep talking long enough, you're going to say something you wish you hadn't said. Have you ever noticed that? Just keep on going. You're at a party, things are going, somebody laughs at something you say, and next thing you know you say something you shouldn't have said. 
Have you ever seen that happen? Where words are many, sin is inevitable. But he who holds the tongue is wise. Right? Don't say anything. Keep it, keep it quiet. Or then there's blurting folly. I like this. Blurting out things that shouldn't be said. 12.23. A prudent man keeps his knowledge to himself, but the heart of fools blurts out folly. It's like there's just no gatekeeper there. It just comes flowing out. Have you ever met somebody like that? Are you like that? <laughs> I hope not. But it just comes rolling out, something you wish you hadn't said. 15.2, the tongue of the wise commends knowledge, but the mouth of the fool gushes folly. So I'm relating blurting out and gushing. They're about the same thing. And then the heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. That's so good. 15.28, the heart of the wise weighs out his answers first. You think about what you're going to say before you say it. But the foolish person doesn't do that. They just say what comes to their mind. I'm just telling you how I feel. Well, <laughs> that's where the damage comes. All right, self-control. Weigh out what you say before you say it. All right, that's that foolish abundance, saying lots and lots of stuff. And many of it uh, shouldn't be said. Much of it shouldn't be said. Second category, lying and deception. Lying and deception. First, lying. Oh, and by the way, let's take a minute. I want to I show you something. We're not going to get to everything the way I want to do it here. But look at 26, 4, and 5. And this is going to teach us something important about Proverbs. <clears throat> Could somebody, I'm losing my voice here. Can somebody read 26, 4, and 5 for me? Big voice. Okay, yeah, you stumbled a little bit over that, and I understand why. Because it seems like they contradict each other, doesn't it? Do not answer a fool according to his folly, or what? You will be like him yourself, right? Answer a fool according to his folly, or he will be wise in his own eyes. Well, exegesis or interpretation in Proverbs is a little different than anywhere else in Scripture. You just have to handle them a little bit differently. Proverbs has some sayings that are absolute truths all the time, no matter what, aren't they? Like the Lord detests lying lips. We'll get to that in a minute. He always does, no matter what. There's no way you can turn it around that sometimes he loves lying lips. Those are absolutes. Then there are other things that are just general tendencies in life. You know, like, for example, uh, if you have a righteous leader, then the nation will be righteous, that kind of thing. They're just tendencies and generalities. They're not always true. And here is we get a juxtaposition of two verses that seem to contradict each other. Basically, what it's saying is that there are some circumstances in which you're going to want to deal with a fool blurting out folly one way, and then other times you're going to want to deal with it a different way. And so you interpret it that way. All I'm saying is that, that exegesis or interpretation in Proverbs has to be handled a little bit more carefully than some other places. Actually, they all have to be handled carefully. All right, look at chapter 6, uh, speaking about lying. Chapter 6, verses nine, uh, 16 through 19. There are six things the Lord hates seven that are detestable to him. Uh, uh, haughty eyes, lying tongue, hands that shed innocent blood, a heart that devises wicked schemes, feet that are quick to rush into evil, a false witness who pours out lies, and a man who stirs up dissension among brothers. At least two or maybe three of those have to do with lying. The stirring up dissension may involve lying sometimes. You could be sp spreading stories about somebody and causing dissension that way. God hates lying lips. Hates them. We try to get this across in our parenting, but it's true of all of us. 
And it says in, in one of the Psalms, uh, all, men are like li- all men are liars. All of us lie at some point. We all shade the truth, don't we? We all suppress the truth in unrighteousness. God detests lying. It says in 12.22, the Lord detests lying lips, but he delights in men who are truthful. And listen to this one. Commentary on the American political scene. Arrogant lips are unsuited to a fool. How much worse lying lips to a ruler? Lying lips to a ruler. It's unseemly. It destroys a nation when you have untrustworthy people who use their, their public situations to speak lies to us. And we just get used to it. We're just hardened to it almost. It's almost like we don't even notice. But God detests it. And then 21.6, a fortune made by a lying tongue is a fleeting vapor and a deadly snare. How many fortunes are made through deceit and lying? Think about it. Stock schemes and just different shady business deals and all that. And God says that the money made is like a vapor. It'll disappear. And then the actual scheme itself is a snare to your feet. So don't do it. Don't make money that way. And then deception we already covered in 26, 23 through 26, the coating of glaze over earthenware. God does not want us to appear to be something other than we are, but he wants us to be genuinely righteous. Does not want us to be lying, does not want us to be deceptive. And one of the beauties of the word of God is how everything is covered. I love it as a parent. The fact that it says in Leviticus, I forget the exact, exact verse reference, but it says... Um, It says, do not lie, or thou shalt not lie, nor deal falsely with one another. It's all covered, isn't it? Well, I didn't exactly lie, Dad. Well, that's true, but you willfully misled, and so therefore it's covered. We must not be deceptive, and we must not lie, and these things are displeasing to God. The third category is malice and destruction. These are the most harmful words that we say, in which we are speaking so as to destroy and hurt and damage. Isn't it sad that we do that to one another? Isn't it sad that we look out over the tool bench of our possibilities and we pick out that sledgehammer and just, just hurt? And we do that, don't we? We use our words to cut and to destroy. It says in 11.9, With his mouth the godless destroys his neighbor, but through knowledge the righteous escape. And then 12.6, The words of the wicked lie in wait for blood, but the speech of the upright rescues them. You know, this is something, this is something that, that, that grieves me is that I would ever say anything hurtful or harmful to a family member. But that's where you let your guard down. Have you ever noticed you say things that just shouldn't be said? Heat of the moment, etc. God doesn't want it. We should use our words to heal and to build up, to bring life. We'll talk about that more next time. And also being a false witness. Back in that culture, uh, if you were a false witness in a capital crime, it was like attempted murder. Do you understand that? If you were speaking... And saying so-and-so did X, Y, and Z, and, there, and it was a capital crime, in effect, you're attempting to kill that person. And so God deals very seriously with the issue of being a false witness. A false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will not go free. 19.5. And then 19.9 says, a false witness will not go unpunished, and he who pours out lies will perish. Very serious thing. Let's not use our words to destroy or attack, but only to build up. And then there's gossip and slander. What's the difference between gossip and slander? What is, what's the, how would you define those two so that they end up different? What, what's the difference between gossip and slander? Yeah. Either way, there are words that you put out that damage somebody's reputation, aren't they? Character assassination through the word. It's so damaging. 
And it's remarkable in the list in Romans chapter 1 of all the terrible sins. You know, we've got hateful, hateful doers of evil, you know, murderers, adulterers, gossips and slanders right there on the list. Have you ever spoken words that you knew would drag down somebody's reputation in the eyes of the hearer and did it anyway, or the ears of the hearer? The fact of the matter is we're all tempted in that direction. Maybe you're having a conflict with somebody and you can use your words in a way that drags that person down. All right, uh, 11.13 says, A gossip betrays a confidence, but a trustworthy man keeps a secret. Sometimes somebody will commit to you some information that's, 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 that's private. And, and you go out and betray confidence, say things that shouldn't be said. Trustworthy man keeps a secret. 16.28 says, A perverse man stirs up dissension, and a gossip separates close friends. And uh, 26.20, I'm sorry, 2019, and this is just very practical, a gossip betrays a confidence, so avoid a man who talks too much. All right? In other words, don't share with somebody who's always around talking a lot, because guess what? Your story's going to be the next thing on the grapevine. Be careful about that. The words of, go of a gossip are like choice morsels. They go down to a man's inmost parts. And look at this, 2620. Without wood, a fire goes out. Without gossip, a quarrel dies down. How many churches can testify to the truth of that? Conflicts happening, dif difficulties, disagreements, and somebody keeps feeding fuel into the fire, keeps the fire going, keeps the log on there, right? That's sin. That is just flat-out sin. If you stop feeding, the fire disappears. The conflict goes away. That's wisdom from the Word of God. And then there's slander. 10.18 says, He who conceals his hatred has lying lips, and whoever spreads slander is a fool. The next one is flattery. Flattery. What is flattery? Or shall I ask the question, what's the difference between encouragement and flattery? Sincerity. Okay. When would you use encouragement? What's your motive in encouragement? To build that person up. What's your motive in flattery? To build yourself up, to gain something for yourself. That's the difference. It's got to do with what is the goal of your words. Paul says we never use flattery, nor do we put on a mask to cover up greed, 1 Thessalonians. We never used it. And so I'm always careful because I want to encourage you, all of you. But I have to be careful that I'm not flattering. I have to always assess my motive. Why am I saying this? Is there something that I'm trying to get out of this situation by saying it? Because I want to be like Barnabas, a son of encouragement, but I want to be sure it's not flattery either. So it says, uh, he who guards his lips guards his life, 13.3. And he, uh, I'm sorry, that's, that's not the right one. 29.5, sorry. Uh, whoever flatters his neighbor is spreading a net for his feet. So I want to be careful about flattery. Basically, we're trying to entrap and gain some benefit. And then there's hasty speech. The heart of the righteous weighs its answers, but the mouth of the wicked gushes evil. We looked at that one. 18.13. Look at 18.13. He who answers before listening. <laughs> he who answers before listening, that is his folly and his shame. In other words, you interrupt. Have you ever done that? Right in the middle of the, of the story, you stop and say, I, I, I know what you're going to say, and off you go. Well, you didn't know, because you didn't finish listening. Don't interrupt, but finish and listen. And 29.20, do you see a man who speaks in haste? There is more hope for a fool than for him. So don't speak in haste. And boasting. Two things, 27.1 and 27.2. 27.1, do not boast about tomorrow, for you do not know what a day may bring forth. Don't boast about tomorrow. You don't even know if you'll be alive tomorrow, right? 27.2, 
Let another praise you and not, not your own mouth, someone else and not your own lips. That's a great verse, isn't it? Don't build yourself up in your own eyes. Don't talk good things about yourself. Let somebody else do it. Let God decide when you need to be encouraged. Don't boast about yourself. And then quarreling. Quarreling, arguing. Starting a quarrel, 1714. Starting a quarrel is like breaching a dam. So drop the matter before a dispute breaks out. A dam is a wall, it's all built up, and then you start to pick at the stones and the mortar, and what starts to happen? Then the water starts to flood through. Next thing you know, you've got a huge problem. 13.10 says, Pride only breeds quarrels, but wisdom is found in those who take advice. We're going to talk more about conflict resolution. That's a major theme in Proverbs. We'll get to that later, but I just want to touch on it in terms of quarreling. And then there's mocking. 22.10. Again, I think about churches sometimes with 22.10. Drive out the mocker and out goes strife. Quarrels and insults are ended. All of a sudden there's peace. How did that happen? Well, the person who's causing all the strife and conflict isn't doing it anymore. Don't be a mocker. Don't, don't seek to mock, but seek to build up. Use your words to build. Use your mouth and your tongue for what is right, not what is, what is destructive and evil. And then poor timing. These are some of my favorites. Poor timing. 27.14. Speaking when you should be quiet. Somebody read 27.14. Did you hear that? If a man loudly blesses his neighbor early in the morning, it will be taken as a curse. But his timing was off. His motive was right. He wanted to be a blessing. He just had the wrong timing. It was too early in the morning, and his neighbor was not a morning person. Every spouse, one of them's a morning person, one of them's not. It's just the way it is. God has designed it that way. And so it's a, you know, you just have to work it through and know, is this going to be taken as a blessing or not? You've got to have timing, okay? 27.14. And 14.23, talking when you should be working. I saw a lot of people, you know, in 10 years of engineering work, I saw a lot of people who did a lot of talking when they should have been working. <laughs> right? <laughs> Water coolers, you know, discussions. I bet you tomorrow there may even be some discussions around the water cooler about various athletic endeavors. But, you know, I'm telling you, it's just, uh, you know, talking when you should be working. 1423, somebody read this for me. That's great. All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk leads only to poverty. I was helping to build uh, a water silo uh, for a woman's, a girl's school in Kenya, and uh, I was pushing this heavy wheelbarrow of sand up a hill uh, to make the concrete, and the teenage girls, the Kenyan girls, lined the way and joked and laughed at us while we were toiling up the hill. They did it for hours. And finally, I don't know how, I had just been reading the book of Proverbs, and this particular proverb came to mind, 1423. All hard work brings profit, but mere talk leads to poverty. <laughs> it dispersed the crowd. At any rate, I mean, you know, we're working hard. We're trying to get something good out of it, you know, but mere talk leads to poverty. And then 18.2, talking when you should be listening to wise people. A fool finds no pleasure in understanding, but delights only in airing his own opinions. <laughs> they just talk all the time. 
And they don't have any, any interest in learning anything. They just want to air their own opinions. And then one final one, 26, 18, and 19. I just, no, this, I love this one. This is about joking. 26, 18, and 19. Like a madman shooting firebrands or deadly arrows is a man who deceives his neighbor and says, I was only joking. That's just a cover-up for, for doing wrong, right? There's a time for that. And you could extend that just out into jo- joking in general. There's a lot of joking that's sin. It really is. I would say a good chunk of it. Look at it. Majority of those things that you say to get a laugh hurt somebody. Hurt somebody. Tear somebody down. So, Anyway, these are some bad habits. I'm sure none of you have them, but I, I struggle with a few. And uh, the book of Proverbs has a lot to say on each one of these. Let's pray that God would weed these things out of our hearts and out of our mouths so that we can speak only those things that are blessed. Next week we'll look at good habits uh, to get into verbally. Uh, let's close in prayer. Father, we thank you for the time we've had to look at your practical wisdom in the book of Proverbs. I pray that you would continue to instruct us and teach us the right way, that we would not do any of these things, but only those things uh, that are are helpful for building our neighbors up, that it may benefit those who listen. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you for listening to this resource from twojourneys.org. Feel free to use and share this content to spread the knowledge of God and build his kingdom. Only we ask that you do so for non-commercial purposes and in accordance with the copyright policy found at twojourneys.org. Two Journeys exists to help Christians make progress in the two journeys of the Christian life, the internal journey of sanctification and the external journey of gospel advancement. We do this by exporting biblical teaching for the good of Christ's church and for the glory of God.